Well, hey, good morning. Good morning. The rains are coming. <laughs> Very fitting for our passage today. You know, uh, I don't see any natural disasters coming up here, though. I don't see any really bad storms or anything, right? But just in case you wanted to see one, we've got them coming here in Revelation chapter 16. You know, all the, um, the, the natural disasters of human history since the flood, <laughs> they're just warning. They're just samples that are warning what is to really come. You know, you, you can think of uh, hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and plaguing diseases and tidal waves and earthquakes, all of those things. They're just samples, just little bitty things of what... Uh, is to really come in the future. And what it's talked about today, those things are nothing compared to the worldwide devastation that is going to be coming on this earth. Just before Christ returns, and I mean just before that uh, return, you know, we like to think of God's grace and His love and His mercy, and well, we should. That's what we're here for. We're to uh, be reminded of the good news and uh, who Christ is to us and what He's about. Uh, also, we know that He's very holy and He's very just. And today, we're going to see the holiest and most extensive and final wrath of God that we have ever looked at in the Bible or even experienced in our lives. I mean, this goes way beyond it. We can see clearly what God thinks of sin when He brings on these disasters in Revelation 16. Very clearly. It's going to be like the gathering of all the horrors and terrors that were most severe of all of history. Nothing will compare with what's going to happen. Uh, actually, it's going to completely inundate the entire world in total disaster. Giving you a upbeat message here today, aren't I? <laughs> Does that fire you up? But, you know what? This is good news. Because God is going to get rid of all the evil that's going on now. You know, men at that time, even though man is bad now, man has always been bad, and man, man will be bad then, but the uh, exposing of his sin will be at the very apex. Men will be at the epitome of their worst whenever they, they worship the Antichrist, when they worship Satan actually. They will be at their apex at absolute rebellion against God. They will be at their apex at blaspheming God. The worst ever. And so they are at the apex of their sin, or representing man's sin. And God is at the apex of His wrath. So this is uh, at a time when the worldwide rebellion occurs against God. Worldwide, and His wrath will be the same. Now we've looked at three series of divine judgments. Actually two. We're ready to start on that third series. The first was the seven seals. 
Christ took the scroll and He breaks the seals. In the seventh seal came seven trumpet judgments that escalated the judgments that were done in the seven seals. They're escalated even more because now we have arrived at that third set of judgments. It's called the seven bowl judgments. And God is not backing down. He's bringing even more than ever. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be so quick. Rapid fire. Could be within hours or days that all of these occur very, very quickly. We have not seen anything yet as we compare this now to chapter 16. In chapter 15, there was an interlude. It was the temple of God, if you'll remember, and we were allowed to look in there with John. John saw with his physical eyes this vision that God gave him. And he relates it to us. And he looked right into the Holy of Holies. And there was that uh, uh, presence of God that was experienced and of course the angels and the elders, they were all worshiping God in a huge way and John took note of that, of that beauty that was there. We see, we saw mercy and forgiveness there. We saw the Lamb of God in a sense that had done His work. And now we see that right at the end of chapter 15 and now going into chapter 16, coming out of that temple all of a sudden was raging indignation represented by the smoke that was in the temple. Remember how we closed last week and the smoke filled that temple? And this is the seven last plagues. And it's poured out on the earth. It's getting ready to now. And this time it's going to be there. Last week we just took the respite. And just took in the great glory of God and His beauty that's there. And then we realize this is it. He's going to do His worst judgment. Worst considered as far as man is concerned. It's about to start. So let's, uh, let's stand as we pick up our Bibles, turn to chapter 16. We're going to look at all seven bowls. There are 21 verses. Are you ready? Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And these were the angels that were there that we saw in chapter 15 that were ready to do it. Here we go. So the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One. 
because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Then I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent, so as to give Him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place in which in Hebrew is called Harmageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Let's pray. Great holy God, yes, you are holy, yes, you are just. Before us, Lord, you've given a text that is incredibly described it would almost bring fear to anyone who would read this and try to understand it. Well, we know as Christians there is nothing to fear. You are doing what you have already told us you will do in the future. And Lord, very possible we may not even be here. But Lord, we always want your complete judgment for that sins on the kingdom. And that's what we look to. And as we see these graphic bowls, judgments being delivered here, 
may it give us a sense of awe and how accurate Your Word is. In Jesus' name, Amen. I had a little talk with the Lord over the week. I said that during the, the time of 16, dealing with the thunder and lightning, Lord, could you just send that a little bit to make it... <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't pray that, but it makes it a little more realistic. The Lord is good. And sometimes, you know, He does little things like that right here. You want this? <laughs> Okay, this, this is heavy. Uh, a lot of this we're going to go through really quick, uh, I think. I'm going to try. Uh, we'll move on. Verse 1, Then I heard, John heard, a loud voice. A loud voice. You know that loud voice? You know who's speaking? This is God Himself speaking. I mean, it could be an angel, but I dare not think that it's not God here. He's speaking. He's saying, it's time. It's a loud voice. Everybody hear this. This is clear. And remember, we've been looking at that temple. There's no angelic intermediary here, I don't believe, in the sense of talking. This is serious, so it's God Himself who speaks. And he says to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Chapter 14, 15 gave us that kind of interlude and boom, now it is here. And so it says in verse 2, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and became a loathsome and malignant sore. Uh, this is a malignant ulcerous sore. That's the idea of this word here, elkos. It's ulcer, it's a running sore, uh, issues out fluids, oozing sores. Um, a lot of these plagues that we look at remind you of the plagues that were in Egypt at the time of Moses and the children of Israel. That was just to Egypt. This one is worldwide and much worse. Multiplied on ends. But it does remind you of that. God brought great judgment upon Egypt, didn't He? And then everything climaxed in the deliverance uh, in Exodus chapter 9, 9-11. Nine it talks about some sores. Some of these I might re return to Exodus. Then again, I might just go right on through. But just to show you a little bit here in Exodus 9, 9. It will become fine dust over the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. That's what it was. It was sores that He gives them. Oozing sores. Just You might remember Job. Job had those sores all over him and scrape them off with the butts hurt and such. And uh, you know, it was a horrible situation. Well, this is given to every person who takes the mark of the beast. This will not come on the believers who are living at that time. Remember, a lot of people become believers during the tribulation, right? 
And a lot of them are persecuted and martyred, and then there are some that are still left who will live all the way through this time. Starting with the 144,000 and probably many others. Deuteronomy 28.27 says, The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt. He will do this to you, unbelievers, and with tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. Sores, pain that goes through this, and it's all for the ones who chose the beast. And that's what they're going to get. This is horrible. Let's go to the second bow as we are in chapter 16. Pretty vivid there. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. So, the second one is the sea is turning to blood. That's the idea. Do you remember in, uh, in Egypt, the waters turned to blood? In Exodus uh, 7, 20-25, you can read that. Um, this is something also like a trumpet plague that we saw in chapter 8. Some of these plagues are like what we've already seen. And he say, is that the same thing? No, it's not. It's worse. He gave us glimpses, and it was bad enough then, but this is horrible. This is it. The sea turns into blood, and it has its blood like that of a dead man. A dead man has blood coming out of him. It can be black, it can be dark, it can be colored, it's coagulated. And that's the kind of blood that's in the sea as it washes up on the shore. So that's the second bowl. Let's go to the third bowl. Third angel bore out his bowl into the rivers and springs of waters and they became blood. So now we have not only the sea, the salt water, now it's fresh water. This also was, uh, has been described. We kind of go along with our chapter 8. And uh, according to Exodus 7, 19 to 21, it's, this one's over the whole world though, isn't it? Fresh water is contaminated. And you remember... Uh, they might already have a shortage of water. Do you remember the two witnesses? And they had the power to what? To shut the heavens. So there might have been a long time since they've had water. It has gotten very tough to get water. Uh, so that is what would be going on here. They have no water to wash their oozing sores. Uh, can you imagine going to the sink? Uh, you wake up in the morning to brush your teeth and out comes blood out of your faucets. You go to cook something with water and have it boiled and there is, again, you've got the water to boil its blood. You can't do anything hardly without water when it comes to this. And so... That's the situation that it is. It's real. And what's interesting is in Revelation 19, in verse 2, 19, 2, I believe it is, because His judgments are true and righteous, 
For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Do you catch what that is? This is an avenging of blood. Many saints, not only during the tribulation, but all through the time of mankind, Saints have been martyred for their faith in the Lord. And we know all through the New Testament time period, we know the stories of that and all the way up. And then the Great Tribulation, we see that continue. And he says, I'm going to avenge that blood. And here you have blood in the ocean and also in the fresh waters. Now we turn to the fourth bowl in verse 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent as to give him glory. This is the fourth uh, bowl judgment. By the way, on that third judgment, I, did, I failed to tell you something. Verse 4 for they poured out the blood of saints and prophets. Now we had read that, but I don't know if, whether you caught that or not. But because they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. He gave them the fresh water to drink that was now blood. Do you get that? So now we, we're here on the fourth bowl. You know, the sun has always been given to us to give us light, to give us warmth, to give us energy. Without the sun, we, we know we couldn't live, right? Uh, if it just changed just a little bit, it's a deadly killer. Well, maybe God, in a millisecond or less than that, whatever that would be, is going to destroy the protective ozone layer that we have in our atmosphere. The ultraviolet rays are deadly, and they radiate off the surface. And this will be sudden. It will be immediate. Now, scorching the earth. We've seen that. And now it's scorching men with fire. And do you know if the sun expanded its hydrogen gas, it would melt the ice caps. And where the poles are at, all the ice that are there will suddenly be unleashed as water running all the way on down the mountains throughout all the land. Scientists have told us that, that the seas would rise 200 feet. And so as that comes into the, uh, I guess you could say, the shores, it would not only devastate the cities that are there, but probably on inland for quite a few miles. And so you got all sorts of havoc going on, and God is destroying many cities, many people in many different ways, and there would be people drowned in that sense. I have to think of Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Don't you like that book of Malachi? Don't you like that name? I like that name, Malachi. And, you know, God is just in what He says in Malachi. <laughs> I, got, I got both of the guys mentioned in there. Anyway, I'm still turning back. I know that it is right at the back of the book. 
You know that, don't you? It's the last book in the Old Testament. That book. Malachi 4.1 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Just devastates everything. Wow, that's enlightening, isn't it? Turn to Isaiah 24, 3. From Isaiah to Malachi, all the prophets section, we get uh, this kind of story. Isaiah 24, 3. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled for the Lord has spoken the word. That's judging the earth, judging the people way back during the time of the prophets. You know, in Revelation 16, the people know who's doing this. They can't give glory to Antichrist with this or, or the false prophet or Satan. They know exactly where this is coming from. Look in verse 9. Men were scorched with a fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. That tells you a lot. Do you know that every man and woman knows that God exists. Don't you ever think that they really believe that there's no God? It is put into their thinking right off the bat. Romans 1 talks about that. They all know about God, and it's convenient to say He doesn't exist because now you can do anything you want and ignore Him totally. But God exists, and they know it, and we know as this develops here, they, they blaspheme Him. If He didn't exist, why would they blaspheme Him? They do it today. You hear God's name being taken vain in so much of the world today. Just two words. And I'm thinking, and you've told me that God doesn't exist, and you're saying that? You're using His name. If it didn't exist, why would you even say that name? He doesn't exist. Right? Oh, man, that's blasphemous. God is going to judge all who are blasphemous against His name. But here they are literally going to have this kind of... They're going to be scorched. Scorched them. They, they will. Wow. No repentance. Even after He's done all these things, God who has the power over these plagues, and it says they didn't repent, they give Him glory. They will not. They will not do it. Even though they know that God is saying repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying it right now, isn't He? He says it through the church. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The prophet said it. John the Baptist said it. Jesus said it. Because He was the kingdom. It is very near on here, right? 
so they know it's God. Fifth bowl. Then the fifth angel poured out the bowl of the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And get this. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. The entire human system that is actually called Babylon that we'll be seeing in chapter 17 is engulfed in darkness. No light. And then all of these things are happening. No light. No water. Some of the basic things that we have to have. And you could say that this can't be very long with all of these happening. You would die. That's exactly what's happening. Only God will still keep many alive as He comes back. So they, they gnaw their tongues. They blaspheme. There's no repentance. Look in Joel chapter 2 verse 2. Daniel, Amos, Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 2. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Now I know you've been feeling that all week and then we had sunshine Friday. This is not the kind that we're talking about here. What we had was a few clouds and you still have a lot of light shining through. They have darkness, folks. Do you remember the darkness plague that was in Egypt? They couldn't see. It was like in a cave. Well, what you have here is that. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor there be again after it to the years of many generations, on and on and on. Well, quite, quite the judgment of darkness, and it says here that they will gnaw their tongues. So much pain, they get, they've had sores, and it says here they gnaw their tongues because of pain. They are in horrible pain, folks. It is already feeling like hell to them. And they still do not repent. They blaspheme. They gnaw on their tongues to distract themselves from all the other agony that they're having. They direct it to their tongues. And in their tongues that they're gnawing, they are blaspheming. You see, the tongue exposes who you are. So I want to be careful with every word that we say. The tongue exposes what's inside. And they are really doing it, aren't they? I mean, it's being racked up one after another after another. And that alone right there is enough to put them into hell, to make one blasphemy. Well, they were born in sin. Their nature, they already deserve it. But they show outwardly, here are their deeds, and when they come to the great white throne judgment... I'm sure some of this will be their deeds. Their blaspheming of God as He plays it back to them. Boy, that'd be scary, wouldn't it? Okay, we are now at the sixth bowl. Did you hear that? We're already on verse 11, folks. Usually I'm saying we're still on verse (laughs) 1. 
Do we get it? This is a this is an interesting bowl here. Six angel poured out his bowl on the great river the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits and frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. I'll stop there for a moment. Okay, you have Orientals, people of the East, the kings of the East. Um, these are, would be the people that I would say as you go further East, of course you have India, we could definitely relate here China with this. They would be definitely a king of the East, wouldn't they? Possibly Japan, Korea, Vietnam, all of those countries out of the East, but definitely, I think to, if it were today, I would see China leading all of this. And it's very interesting, you know, as you enter into this thought here, uh, I have to wonder by that time if there's any such thing as the modern technology that we have today. Is it possible that all of that, because of what has happened with the, the darkness, what would happen to electricity, with everything that's going on, we have to have some kind of that. The sun is out. By the way, in Mark 13, 24, it says, you know, the... the the sky becomes darkened and blackened. And we've read that many times. But this time, you know, it's like, how can they do anything? Everything goes out. And I have to wonder if somehow all the warfare is going to go back like it did at the time of Bible times. Is that possible? I always thought that there were descriptions here of helicopters, you know, flying, you know, like the scorpions that we saw in Revelation 9. Could be, could be representing that, but we know they're actually demons, that it, it actually explains there. Uh, so, you know, it could be that, two different ways, not dogmatic in all of this revelation that I'm really putting forth, right? It's, but, you know, I could say, leave it up to your imagination, but leave it up to what's said here. And it's very likely that they might go back to swords and horses, where you have bridles and the blood. Remember, we read that last week. I think this is very, very interesting that the world will have to revert back if that would be the case. Never mind, enough of that. Then that be. But it, it could be a step back in time. Now, it mentioned in Daniel chapter 11, I'm not going to turn there, but in, in Daniel 11, it's around verse 15, I think, it mentions specifically that tidings reach the East and it affects the Antichrist. News comes from the East and here comes the kings of the East. Other kings seem to be rushing upon the Antichrist to turn on him because his system is not working. And the whole world is there as they're coming to Jerusalem, which is where he has made his 
capital city. And so maybe the kings of the east are turning on him. They're all going to meet. God is gathering all the nations in one place. Basically one area. Israel. The land of the Jews. And so what we have here is a great river, Euphrates. It's called great. Several times in this text you will see great. Great. We've seen that several times already. It means mega. It is a huge river. It's in the Middle East. You've heard of it. Kind of separates uh, Israel from them, and you say Israel's not in there. That's you know like Babylon, and that's where Persian. We think of the Middle East countries, and it is. But God originally gave a covenant to them, and I think it was Genesis fifteen eighteen, and it go it was to go all the way to the Great Euphrates River, all the way to that eastern division. The boundary line. It was a boundary line for Israel. So what you have in this land is Mount Ararat, which would be the place where the ark so, you know, landed. People can't get there today. We've seen maybe pictures of it. Maybe we haven't. But it's possible that the ark is there. It's frozen seen some pictures that looks like it's the front of the ark sticking out of the ice. Well, uh, it's fascinating to read about and to hear about. But at any rate, at this Mount Ararat, it's it's all ice. That's what it is. It's it's made of uh, snow-capped mountains all around there. And remember, we were talking about if you have these hydrogen gases that now are igniting and the sun just scorches the people, scorching the earth. Snow-capped mountains melt so quickly. And they come rushing down. By the way, the, the great Euphrates River is 1,800 miles long. You know, we think of the Mississippi River. That's a great river, isn't it? And it goes all the way up from the north part, you think of uh, Minnesota and such, it comes all the way down to Missouri borders, all the way down to Louisiana, a long way, it's very wide, well the uh, Mount, uh, I mean Euphrates River is very great too, and it ha it's very wide in many areas, it's known for that, of course when the floods come that can be uh, a big, big type flood, we'll imagine the ice coming down. 3,600 feet wide. I don't know, maybe two-thirds of a mile uh, wide. And all of this is flowing down that way. Uh, there's another uh, twin river in that area we know as it's found in Genesis was the Tigris River. The Tigris and the Euphrates River. And, and of course we'd all heard of the Fertile Crescent. We think of the Middle East as being nothing but desert. Well, imagine when God created this air, uh, this whole area that this is where the Garden of Eden was put at. Now, I know there was a flood and that could be different too, but from what we could take here, if that would be close to that area, that was a very fruitful area. I don't think God created deserts. 
But because of the flood and what happened and all the sin, we see that, yes, a lot of things happened to this earth. The mountains and the valleys, the crevices, all that's underneath in the ocean, all those cracks there. That's why we have earthquakes and such. God did not uh, create this world to, uh, to do that, I guess, in the sense of, I want to make a creation and then I want to make it be destroyed. But in His plan, ultimately, there has to be the flood and judgment there. And coming with that is all the havoc that comes with a sin-infested world, a planet that we live on. So this is the eastern boundary of Israel that really they've never really had, but it will occur. It will come. God gave a promise of that in the covenant. The the land that God gave to Israel was from west, which is the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to the Euphrates River. And it would encompass what today is known as the Arab Territory. Wow. And it was to go north and far south. Now, uh, if you have all that melting going on, they have bridges. It There is a floodplain there. This turns into a massive floodplain if that polar, polar caps and then coming from Mount Ararat rushes down so quickly. All those bridges would be useless when the snowpack and the glaciers just take over below all the way down to the Gulf of the Arabian Sea. So the nations are hindered to cross this Euphrates River. The kings of the east want to go across. Physically, they're going to go there. If you have a war today, you probably wouldn't have a lot of men in boots on the ground. You could just push a button and blow nations apart, couldn't you? But uh, this is not happening in this way. It's the good old-fashioned war that we read about in history. All the warriors coming together to meet together, ultimately to kill God, to kill Christ. Can you imagine that? That's how we'll take care of it. Well, they're all hindered, the kings of the east, uh, the oriental leaders, the kings of the rising of the sun. That's literally what that means there, the rising of the sun. Of course, Japan has a flag, and that flag has an orange circle in that on that white background. That's the land of the rising sun, right? That's representing the sun. But you know what? It's a trap. Because what happens is that God as he's had this flood or just this river, maybe it doesn't have to flood, all of a sudden, zip, he makes it where they can cross that Euphrates River. Now, can you imagine that? Now, that sounds a little like fairy tale, doesn't it? No. I think we've seen this before. God has done this. He did it at the Red Sea. And later on, whenever he had the tribes of Israel to go into the promised land, they crossed over the Jordan River and he just splits the waters and they go through. I think this is a miraculous thing as it says here that uh, the great river Euphrates is dried up. That's an odd thing. 
But there's a lot of odd things happening at this time, isn't there? And that definitely is conceivable. And so they now, what had a difficult situation, now have the opportunity to go to Israel. It's a trap. God sets it. He did it. He set a deadly trap on the Red Sea. He sets a trap here for the kings of uh, the east as they will go on through. And they're going to go like sheep that are led to slaughter. He gathers them all in one pretty big area. The world is all coming to one place to be executed. God's doing this. Remember, this is part of the bowl judgment. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits, and it says those, uh, that's demons. Three unclean spirits, frog-like creatures, white frog, well, um, I think frogs, when you think of it, there was, uh, to the Persians, to those people in that area, it was the twin of Araman. Araman was the god of evil and the agent of all plagues. Frogs, when you hear them, they croak. They croak all night long, right? Ribbit, ribbit, right? All that kind of stuff. And they just constantly have their mouths open. They're speaking. Frog-like creatures. They're demons. And there's a voice being put forth and it's demons seducing spirits, spreading lies and deception, having all the nations come to this one spot. So God's plan, and He uses demons. You know, He's used them all the way through Revelation. He's in total control, Lord, or, or, people. Lord, You are tremendous. As Your plan comes about, even wrath, and You're in complete control, Lord. I'm amazed. So, um, the spreading of lies, deception. It's what they do. And it says they perform signs. They go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Bring them together. Gather them together. Turn to Joel chapter 3, verse... Nine. Daniel, Joel, Hosea, Joel, right? Joel 3, verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. This whole context of Joel is the day of the Lord. Just before Christ comes back. And of course, the wonders in the sky, blood, fire, columns of smoke, sun is turned into darkness, the moon into blood. That's in chapter 2, verse 30 and 31 and all in that area. In the context of great judgment coming upon the whole world, look in verse 16, 
The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth tremble. But then it says the Lord is a refuge for His people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you'll know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, so Jerusalem will be holy and strangers will pass through it no more. So, but he's going to bring the strangers or the Gentiles to this city and to this country. Daniel 11, which is just back to your left in your Bibles a little bit. 11.40 At the end time, the king of the south will collide with them and the king of the north will storm against him. These are nations now that are coming against Antichrist with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them and pass through them. He will also enter the beautiful land, and many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, for uh, most of the sons of Ammon, we talked about them. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he'll gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt and Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heel. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the, that would be the uh, Dead Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and the beautiful holy mountain which is Jerusalem. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Wow. So that's in Daniel. Now one other passage. Uh, we have to read Zechariah right near the end of the Old Testament, just before Malachi. 14 verse 2. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be plundered, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. <laughs> then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when He fights on a day of battle. That's His very return. Before He comes back, He gathers the nations there and then he comes back, he says in verse 4, In that day his feet will stand, literally, on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem, and on the east and on the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. Half the mountain will move toward the north, the other half toward the south. You will flee by the mountains. His people that he's chosen, here's how they will get out of that city and remain alive because they're going to go right on into the kingdom and... Of course, we have the sheep and the goat judgment and such. All, all of this is right near this time. So, are, are we getting it here? He brings the whole world to there. We've looked in the Old Testament. We've seen it here in Zechariah and Daniel and Joel, many other places. We'll move on. Revelation 16. We move on now. We're, we're, we're getting this a little bit... Uh, they gathered there. Verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. You're blessed if you're the one who stays awake and keeps clothes so that he'll not walk about naked and men will not see shame. What's going on? What's that? You know, he says, there's a thief coming. And you better be ready. At that moment, 
When he arrives, be ready. Because it can happen any time. That's the way a thief happens, right? In Thessalonians chapter 5, it talks about a thief. Or in Matthew 25, it talks about the bridegroom. And um, we know that there is one who's going to come to gather the ones who are the elect. The ones who are ready. There will be other ones that look like they are the bride. And you know what? They weren't ready. They never were God's people. So that's another analogy, but it's saying, just like a thief, when Christ comes back, it'll be like that. If you're a believer, you have nothing to worry about. And that's basically what he's saying here. Uh, The temple guards, they would guard the temple area. They would do it 24 hours a day. At night time, they had a watch. And... Sometimes it would be awful easy because most of the time there's nobody that's going to come and raid the temple, but they still have to watch it. Sometimes some of them would go to sleep. But there's always a captain of the guard who comes around and makes his watch to see if the guards are awake. That ought to keep you awake, right? The boss is coming. Um... If you were sleeping, do you know what they would do? They would take your clothes off and burn them. And you'd have to find a way out of there where nobody would see you. And all of a sudden you'd be trying to go the back route where nobody would see you lest you be embarrassed of your nakedness. Literally, that's maybe an idea of what Jesus is putting forth here spiritually. If you're awake, if you are His, you won't be taken uh, by the one who's coming, Christ. You'll not walk about naked. Nobody will see your shame. If you're ready for Him, all those are His are ready for Him. Are you ready right now? Right? Be ready. Right? That's what He's always saying. Be alert. Be watchful. So, and then we come to verse 16. They gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Megedon. And this is the place that we've all heard of. This is Megiddo. Megiddo is an incredible place. You've probably seen it on videos and pictures. It's uh, a land. It's like 60 miles north of Jerusalem where you have this mount of uh, Megiddo or Har-Megedon. And there's a plain of Megiddo that is south, or, or, or at the south of the base, and spreads on all on down through this area. It's a massive plain, just huge area. And all of a sudden, the land of Israel is going to be a battlefield, huge area, and it's also known as the plain of Estralon, uh, as you. Go east. So it's a, a plain. We know that down through biblical history there have been battles there. If you remember Barak, Barak fought his battle there in um, Judges and also in Judges as Gideon. He fought his battle there. Um, 
Saul and uh, his sons were killed there. Death occurred in that same area. Many deaths. Many battles down through the years. Hundreds of battles have been there. Uh, and I've said many times, Napoleon says that it's the battlefield of all battlefields. The great gathering that's going to be there all the way to Jerusalem, all around in that area. All the kings of the east, the north, the south, the west, they're all there. And so that is that section. We're at number seven now. This is the seventh bowl. The seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. Loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. It's a loud voice. I'll give you one guess. Who's speaking here? This is God. He says, this is it. We've seen all these other ones. Catastrophes after catastrophes that this earth has never experienced. And now, this happens. The earth is just utterly going to be shaken. I, I like this. It is is done. And it reminds you of another place, and I'll be finishing on that note to wind this up here just in a few minutes. We're almost there. It is done. It is finished. There was a Mount Calvary where Jesus said, it is finished. There is the Mount of Megiddo, Armageddon, where God says, it is done. Whenever he says it is done, Christ is coming out of the heavens to this earth to finish it up. To do the sheep and goat judgment. To march them right into the kingdom, the ones who are the sheep. The goats, of course, are put in another place. A holding place for the final judgment of them. Well, what I find interesting, we read in Zechariah 14 that Jerusalem is split. And there's an area that many are going to be able to escape and get out of there. As Christ makes His immediate judgment. I mean, whenever He comes, folks, it's like, like it's going to drag out all day or all week or all month or all in the next 7, 10, 20 years. This judgment is like this. That's it. That's the war. It's over. Well, it says in verse 18, there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there was a great earthquake. This is mega. This is the earthquake of all earthquakes ever. You've heard of 7.0, 8.0, 9.0, 10.0. I don't know this magnitude here. It must be a thousand point oh. I don't know what to tell you here. Uh, nothing has been like this because that's what God's Word says. I'm just not stretching it out here trying to make it sound magnificent. But it says, Such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts. Remember, Zechariah spoke about that. That's the gathering of the nations and such. And the cities of the nations fell. 
Not only Jerusalem as an earthquake, but all the cities and all of Babylon representing all over the world. They're falling. They're fa the earthquake, everything else, boom. I mean, that's they, they're done. They're finished. Revelation 17, we'll go into detail on that when we look at that next week. Lord willing. Now, it's going to speak of Babylon here. Verse 19, the great city, and the now Babylon the great was remembered. And the great, this is what captures people, and it definitely represents, I think, the, the world political system at that time and the religious system at that time. We'll see that. I think also it represents all of mankind all throughout the ages. Babylon. Go back to the Tower of Babel and see what happened there. See where it's really started and spread out all the false religion and such. And the way to govern. Well, Babylon is also a capital of Antichrist empire. And this will get a special taste of God's wrath. 17 and 18. The topography, what about it? Well, it's going to be rearranged. Topography there is going to be changed and will prepare for the kingdom. I mean, you have all this, the fire that's going on and, and then all of this, you know, the scorching and the water and God's going to change that immediately too. But it gets even more graphic. This earthquake is just just horrible. It says here that Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of His fierce wrath. He just lets it all out. The seventh bowl has been put forth. And every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. He blows them apart. No more mountains. No more islands. We're going to see the way that it's going to be, the way that God originally intended, if we can say that. You know what I mean in a human way. And huge hailstones. How huge? Oh, about 100 pounds. That's huge. Huge. Came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God as they see these hailstorms happening. They're blaspheming God. My, if anything, you would be saying, God, forgive me. They will not, I'm going to say this, because they cannot. And they showed that back when they took the mark of the beast. They showed who they were. The unbelieving world. This will happen to you, Literally. The plague of the hail. Because its plague was extremely severe. The word severe is enough for me. But God uses adjectives to try to get the idea, folks, this is the wrath of God. This is the holiness of God. It was extremely severe. 
clown. Blasphemy comes from people who know God. They know the existence of God in His way is what I'm saying. They blaspheme. This, they know Him. They suppress the truth. Everything that's going on in our world today seems like most of it is anti-God. That's why we are sometimes angry. Hopefully it's righteous anger and not our anger. If it's righteous anger, good, because we want to see righteousness. We want to live in righteousness. Uh, Sin-infested world, that's not going to happen in this world. We can pray all we want that there be peace forever right on, on this world the way it is. Well, there will be. But this, all of this has to happen. What we've read, starting chapter 6 all the way on up now through, well, through 18, through 19. The judgment, chapter 20. This has to happen. So when you pray, you do want peace for Israel. And we are to pray that. But you know what's going to happen before... Yeah. But be praying that people come to Christ now. Be praying that people can see your lies that this happens. Now, I want to finish this up right here. John Phillips wrote a really good paragraph about the two hills. The Holy Land has been chosen by God as the stage upon which two crucial events take place. One is on a mountain and one is on a plain Mount Calvary, the plain of Megiddo, the two altars of sacrifice that dominate the history of the world. Both are bloodbaths. Both are the descent of wrath upon sin. Both are brought about by God's bitterest foes. From each proceeds a supper. One is a feast of remembrance for the people of God. And the other is a feast of retribution for the carry-on. At Mount Calvary there rang up the gates of heaven a victorious cry, It is finished. At the plain of Armageddon there rang down to earth an answering cry, It is done. The comparison is apt because the judgment on Calvary provided forgiveness and grace for sinners. The judgment of Megiddo provides destruction and damnation for sinners. You see, our sin was taken care of at the cross. It's done. There's no wrath for you who believe. You won't get this wrath, folks. On the first Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ died for sinners. At the foot of the second Mount, Mount Megiddo, Sinners die themselves. Here then is another like the cross of God's fierce judgments. In fact, the cross and final judgment played out in Megiddo are the two most severe judgments that God brings upon the world as we know it. One is a saving judgment on sin and the other is a damning one on sin. That's why we can smile and thank God 
for saving us, paying for our sins on the cross on Mount Calvary. You don't have to worry about Mount Megiddo because it's all been finished. That work is done. This other work is not done and God is making judgment on all the people who do not trust Christ. He's making judgment on sinners. We were sinners. The question is, is where is it done at? The most fierce wrath was done at the cross where Christ had to take on our sin. The bloodbath is getting ready to happen that will not pay for sin. But it has to be because God is holy and He is just. Aren't you thankful? He is so just and so gracious at the same time. Mercy and His justice meet as Christ comes back. Dear Lord, great God, You are the Great One and we've seen great things that happen here. And Lord, You're in total control and You'll put in disaster this world that mankind thinks He's building for His own glory. Each person really wants to be God. Each person wants to rule their own life and deny that You exist. Lord, thank You for Your truth and thank You for giving us a glimpse into the future. We so are grateful for the cross. In Jesus' name, Amen.